0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Hello, how's everybody doing? I don't know about you, but my my weekend was supposed to be this amazing parade of three baseball games. So far, it rained out twice, and it got rained out a third time. So I brought my glove in case anyone wants to play catch. Just got all this built-up adrenaline from anticipating the games, and it's like just welling up inside me. So I'm going to do my best to remain calm and <clears throat> not, uh, you know, slide into home base here. So what we're going to do today, just continue our series in First John. Um. <clears throat> a lot of the teachings that we've been doing the last few weeks I know have been more challenging, asking a lot of questions, trying to be provocative and thought-provoking and all that stuff. And today, we're not going to do a lot of that. We're just... I'm going to offer some words to you, and I hope it's very encouraging. So, How's that sound? I'm going to put some words on the screen. Um, don't follow along in your Bible because they won't match. This is my own translation of 1 John 3, 1 through 2. Why don't you all stand up, and we'll read this. I will read it. 1 John one three one 1 through 2. See the unrivaled quality of the love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, and now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But, what, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, this morning, he can sit down. Please be seated, I guess, this is, this is the official liturgical thing to say at that point. Um, today, we're going to talk about um, the experience of being seen and heard and known as a child or as a son or a daughter, specifically being seen, heard, known um, by our fathers. I'm going to break it down into two parts, actually three parts, tease. I'm going to tell you a little story, which is going to lead into a little theological um, uh, journey through uh, the garden to the Exodus, briefly just setting up how does John get to this point where he can say that we've been called children of God and that we will one day see God. And then I'm going to share how this text has read me. Because it's done some profound things in my own heart as I've reflected on it for, I don't know, quite a while now. And uh, sometimes I think you just have to, when you're teaching, you just have to be a human being. And uh, I'm just going to kind of cut open my chest, plop down what falls out there. I'm not going to offer any grand conclusions about how to solve the world or what this means for all of our lives. I'm just going to share what it's done and is doing in me. And hopefully there will be something in that for you. Sound good? Yeah. Awesome. So there's our journey. Play tell you this. My name, my full name is David James Stewart. Um, my dad named me. James is his first name. I got his uh, first name for my middle name, and I actually really love my name, David. David James. Um, but ever since first grade, climbing the rope in in gym class, when Mr. Ellingwell called me uh, Stu, that's kind of what everyone has called me since then. I was just a little tiny nugget, and uh, it stuck. And, and to be, you know, honest, I loved having a nickname. It, w- it was really fun that everyone would call me Stew. Was, you know, nicknames are this sign of like, you know, affinity and closeness and comfort. And so it was really cool to have a nickname. Besides, there were a ton of Daves and Davies running around, and not so many Stews. So I kind of went with it, and it's been great. But um, this nickname actually became something more than that, because no one ever called me by my name anymore. Um, no one called me David. And I loved my name, um, and no one called me that. And it was really weird to say, hey, I'm Stu, but call me David. Um, You know, I actually had teachers in high school who were like, who is David? To, like, my parents in conferences. Like, we thought his name was Stu Stewart. Like, (laughs) my parents are some hippies or something? Come on. I actually do have a great uncle named Stuart Stewart, but that's another sermon. He was an Episcopalian priest. He was a strange man, I hear. Anyway, I didn't realize it at the time, but this this Stu, everyone calling me Stu, became this persona. It became this uh, way for me to keep a distance between who I wanted to be, who I was, and how other people saw me. Um, you know, a few people over the years called me David, but actually it was, uh, it was the exception to the rule. And it was really weird that when people would call me by my name, David, it felt weird. It felt uncomfortable. It felt like they were seeing me in a way that kind of disarmed me. And uh, it's really strange that someone could be w- want to be called something, and then when they're called that, it'd make them feel uncomfortable and um, kind of exposed. I mean, I think that's strange, right? now have you ever had that experience where you're sitting with a friend just in normal time caribou starbucks whatever and the conversation just stops and then they look at you and you know in some strange way they they see you differently than they did a few seconds before i was sitting with a friend um two and a half years ago in caribou now on just a random tuesday and uh this guy was kind of a mentor big brother figure in my life now uh, he looks at me and he says what do you want to be called?" And uh, I can't remember the last time I had been asked that question. Probably since, I don't know, a long time. And it was completely disarming because I think for the first time since I had gone through my divorce when I was 24 years old, I felt like I had been seen. And uh, it was really awesome <laughs> and really scary, too. Um, I said, "And I want to be called David. I took it for granted that I was Stu, and that's what everyone called me, but... He saw me and he said, what do you want me to call you? I told him it was really fun. I think there's power in a name. I think that we have this amazing connection with someone when we look at them and when we see them and we call them by their name. Um, I think there's a strange and mysterious power that is unleashed when we, when we look at somebody and we say, I know you, I see you, I'm going to call you who you are. Um, there are these questions that I think we are all asking ourselves the people that we love, and more importantly, the people that we want to be most loved by. And I think the questions are these. Do you see me? Do you know my name? Am I worth knowing? Are you going to call me by name? And what do you think I can be? Keep those questions in mind. Keep what John has to say in First John. And I'm going to just walk you through this little journey from the garden to the Exodus. And I'm going to hopefully get us to a point where we can see that what John is saying here is craziness, it's radical, it's something new, maybe something that we've taken for granted, um, something I think that if we just internalize and experience, it can be pretty transformative. So let's start in the garden. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to put the uh, the name of the scene, if you will, in the, in the Bible verse up on the screen. You can write that down if you want to go and read it later. Um, don't get lost in all the details of this. <clears throat> Just uh, pay attention to the big themes. Um, I'm going to say this, though, going forward. There's this Hebrew word we're going to encounter in every single one of these, um, and it's the word panim, P-A-N-I-Y-M. It's the transliteration. And it means something like the face of or the presence of or being in the midst of. right? And it can be translated in English in any of those ways, but it's the same word in Hebrew. Okay, back on track here. So the garden, we know the story. Eve, Adam, listen to the serpent, eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Evil. And then they realize that they're naked. They experience their bodies differently. And then um, they hide because they hear the sound of the presence of God walking through the garden. And then God says something in this scene that is so familiar, but it's so crazy. God says, where are you? And the implication is this, I cannot see your face. You have hidden your presence from my presence. So very on, early on in the story, um, we see humanity alienated from God and hidden from their presence. But let's remember this. Humanity hides. Humanity is ashamed. Humanity realizes that they're naked. We realize this. We're afraid, and so we hide. I love the response where God where God says, where are you, and then Adam, and Eve say, we heard the sound, and we were afraid, because we were naked, and so we hid. It's this, like, beautiful, naive honesty. Like, we, we didn't know what was happening. So we hid. It's heartbreaking and beautiful. Can't go into it deeper, but just notice this. That we hide from the presence because of our own shame, and it's our first instinct, I think. Fast forward a few chapters to Genesis 17 really quick. Abraham, this dude, now 99 years old. God approaches his presence, he's gonna t- tells him he's going to have this son. Um, all that stuff, you kind of know the story. You can check it out on your own. But what, what's really interesting here is that Yahweh, God, comes to Abraham, comes into his presence. Abraham sees the presence. And then the first thing Abe does is falls on his face. Same word, panim, because he's terrified to be in the presence of God. It's terrifying at this point in the story. God does all the talking, it's a very servant master like relationship here. Um, and then when God is done speaking to Abraham, it says the presence of God goes up or departs. pieces out. That's it. Then Abe is kind of left to do his own thing. And he uh, delivers the good news to his sons that he's going to circumcise them all that day, which I'm sure was a wonderful conversation to have as a father. Anyway, afraid to see the face, falls on his face. God's presence departs. Then Genesis 32, Jacob wrestles with God. Um, crosses this river, wrestles with this, this dude, this man. The dude is the Hebrew term, actually. Um, Jacob says, uh, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. The man says, sees, the man sees that uh, he cannot prevail against Jacob, so he touches his thigh, and then he renames him Jacob, which means, in Hebrew, one who wrestles with God, with people, and is not overcome. And then Jacob asks the man his name. He says, tell me your name. And, and the man says, why do you know my name? And the implication is, uh, you're not ready to know my name. Now, names are very important in the ancient world because of this. Knowing a person's name, especially the name of God, meant you had control over them. You could coerce them. Or at the very least, uh, it meant you understood their essence. And so the man, God, refusing to give Jacob his name, says, you're not ready to know who I really am. You can't control me. So Jacob has this transformative experience. He's given a name. He's seen by God, given a name. But he is not yet given the name. There's a little progression going on here. I hope you're following that. Um, Exodus 3, one of my favorite stories. Moses meets Yahweh. The end of Genesis, the sons of Israel in Egypt. It's a big party. At the beginning of Exodus, the children of Israel are going to be enslaved by the new king of, of Egypt. Uh, Moses shepherding this the flock of his father-in-law out in you know that the desert or whatever and he sees a burning bush and then it says this that Yahweh saw that Moses saw the burning bush and then Yahweh spoke to him and he called Moses by name and Moses says here I am Binani, which is an amazing Hebrew phrase that basically lets you know that something incredible is going to happen um, Yahweh tells Moses that he is the God of his father the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and all that stuff and then he's on holy ground and then Moses covers his face He's afraid to gaze upon the presence of God, just like Adam and Eve and Abe. But not Jacob, he's not that's afraid. Um, Yahweh then tells Moses, this is amazing. I've seen my, the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cry, and I know their sufferings. Um, they may not know it, but these slaves are my children. I've heard them, I've seen them, I've known them. I'm going to make myself known to them even more through you. Buckle up, go do this awesome thing. And then Moses says, well, if I'm going to do that, and the people are going to want to know who's sending me, you better tell me what your name is. And this time Yahweh answers, and the answer is this in Hebrew. It's Eye Asher Eyeh, which is the only neuter verb in Hebrew, and it means I am who I am, or I will be there howsoever I will be there. So Yahweh tells Moses that the name of the divine is the first person conjugation of the verb to be. Pretty straightforward, right? <laughs> Basically saying, I am who I am, Because I'm telling you my name, you do not own me. But now there is a deeper sense of connection between us because now we know each other's names, right? What's amazing here is that it says that Yahweh hears the cry of the children of Israel while they're still in slavery and before they're even given the covenant, the Ten Commandments, the uh, agreement for community living. This is while they're still enslaved and God sees them, hears them, and knows them. Keep that in mind because that's pretty profound. A few uh, chapters later, Exodus 33, Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Um, giving the people the covenant, they break it, all that stuff, journeying towards the promised land. And it says that Moses would sometimes go into this tent and speak with God, paneim to paneim. In English, we get a problematic translation, which says face-to-face as one speaks with a friend. And it's only problematic because a few verses later, well, we'll see why. Um, Moses is kind of like unsure. He's like, well, you know, how do I know that you're going to be with me as I continue to lead these people? They're just building these calves, and they're whining and about leaks and stuff. And, and Yahweh says, you know, I know you by name. I'm pleased with you and I'm going to be with you. That's actually my name. So Moses, wanting to, you know, take this a step further, says, okay, fine. Show me your glory then. That's all i ask. Just show me your glory. And Yahweh answers. It's amazing. He says, all my goodness will pass in front of your Panaim. My Panaim, you cannot see because to see the uh, Panaim of Yahweh is to die. So we cannot see the face of God, the presence of God and live for some reason at this point in the story. It's kind of crazy. But the goodness, the tovness of what God is doing in the world, we can see. And we can point at it and say, this is what God has done. This is what God is doing, and that is good. It's beautiful, and it's clearly the tub of God. The next chapter later, Moses is going up the mountain again. Exodus 34 to get another set of uh, tablets after the first ones are broken. And uh, it says that Moses comes down from the mountain after being in the panim of God. And he's actually unaware that the skin of his own face, his panim, literally his face, is glowing because of having been in God's presence. And the children of Israel sees this. Uh, they, they see this and they're terrified. And they say, Moses, put a veil over that. It's like you have got a really bad tan or something. Uh, cover that up. We're terrified. We don't like that. So Moses obliges. He covers it up. Then when you go and speak with Yahweh, he'd uncover, unveil, and they would be in the presence of one another. Think about this. We cannot see God directly, but others can see the presence of God reflected in our face. Um, When we have a real experience with the presence of Yahweh, it is manifested in our own presence that we sometimes don't even know. Summary. Humanity hides from the face of God. God wonders where we are. Um, we're not given God's name, and we're given God's name, but we're told we can't see the face. Then we're told that others can see the face of God in our face. There's this progression of the relationship between Yahweh and the children of Israel from naivete to maturity, exile to the servitude, then from servant to friend, where God is hidden, where we're hidden from God, and then eventually God sees us from afar distance. Basically, it's a story of unfamiliarity and alienation to more and more intimacy. Um, And it's pretty incredible where, you know, the people are called the children while they're still in slavery before they've been given the covenant. And we sometimes forget that that covenant is, it's a response to being a child of God and not the qualifications by which we become children. It's easy to get those two things confused. In the the stories I've told you, God is this powerful and mysterious. Deity whose face cannot be seen, but whose goodness can. And uh, sometimes we forget that the goodness of God is, in fact, right before us, even though God's presence is sometimes not. And it's pretty clear that at this point in the story, it's terrifying to be in the presence of God because it causes death. And I guess that's terrifying. Fast forward now, we get to John's words. And uh, John was writing about Jesus, who he said was the Christ. And it says this in 1 John 1.1, That which was from the beginning, that's what we're testifying about, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, and what we have touched. So we here now, because of Jesus, um, we see and hear and touch God, and, and uh, that happens through Jesus. It's kind of ambiguous at that point, but it's good, right? Now we go back to the verse we read, and now here... The love that God the Father has lavished on us is seen. We hear that we're called the children of God. And we know that what will be true of us, finally, is not yet fully made known. So now we are the ones being touched and seen and heard and known by God through an encounter with Jesus of Nazareth. But then John does something that goes way, 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 way beyond anything that was acceptable or or, uh, predictable. And he says this, When Christ appears, we shall be like him because you will see him as he is. And that is remarkable because no one to this point is able to see God and live. You see God and you die. But now we will see the fullness of God and actually be transformed into that likeness. And that is a radical statement that maybe we're just so familiar with that it doesn't have the power. But if you think about it, the entire narrative up to this point in the Israelite, the Hebrew people is, you can't see God's face. And then John's saying, we're going to see the face and we're going to become transformed into its likeness. And to drive home this amazing claim, uh, following uh, Jesus' lead, John says this, that that God that we're going to see the face of is like a dad, a father. Jesus calls that God Abba, which is just like Aramaic for daddy. Um, so to experience Jesus is to see, hear, and touch and know the God of Israel. And to experience Jesus is also to be seen, be heard, be touched, and be known by the God who wants to be known as um, not just the God of our fathers, but our fathers. So now here's something that's very important that we haven't said. I'm going to put this on the screen. Um, We only understand God as a Heavenly Father by entering into the metaphor through our our experience with our own fathers. Um, And this is where it becomes a little more tricky. Because we have to enter into the experience of what it is to be a child, a son, or a daughter. If we want to fully live in the metaphor of being a child of God, of a God who is a father. Um, Here's my question, and here's where we just get a little real. For those of us who have not had the relationship with our fathers that we've wanted to have, what do we do? How do we reconcile God as a particular kind of father when the model that we have had for a father has wounded, disappointed, just not been what a child deserves? Now, for me as a theologian, that that part of reading the text is way easier. I could spend time in in the Old Testament and just do all that stuff. That's much, much easier, and I'd I'd love that I could do that all day. But I think because the Spirit somehow has this ability to take these words on the page and then meet us in our situation, Um, whether we're enslaved or naive or someplace in between or free. Um, The way the text has the ability to read us, I think, is way more challenging. So I'll say this. The idea that God is a father, even for someone who knows all the theology of why that is true, has been really, really hard for me. Um, I just haven't had the relationship with my father that I've wanted and that I've craved at the core of my being. My My dad is alive. He's around but for a few different reasons, he just isn't intimately involved in my life like I would want him to be. I'll tell you this, true confession, 31 years old, pretty much all I want in this world is to be a son. All that I want in this world is to be a child father. Theologically, I know that's true, but I want it to be experientially true. I'll tell you this too, I love my dad. Best parts of who I am, I think I owe to him, but... I've rarely felt close to him um, and count the times that I felt seen or heard or known by him. Um, but those times are special to me, even though a lot of times I have felt let down. I um, just want a phone call on my birthday, take me out to dinner or lunch when I'm going through a relationship ringer kind of thing. I want to be a part of my life. That's all I want. By and large, that has not happened. Not angry. I've had to learn to grieve the loss of that relationship that I think every son wants, or if you're a girl, that I think every daughter wants. Um, I suppose I've only become aware of that loss and that I'd say brokenness as I myself have become a father and have now entered into God as a father metaphor as a father myself and I look at my little seven-year-old daughter and I say holy cow kid like there's nothing that you can do that would make me love you less um, even if you just want nothing to do with me and I happen to think that God's a better father than I am so that means that God looks at me and you that way too but that is so abstract of an idea for me most of the time it, it, I, if I'm honest I'll tell you this that idea has been like one percent of the time like profound and transforming. When I started writing this teaching, it was like I'm sitting in this coffee shop, like crying, and I have to like leave. And then the rest of the time I'm writing, I'm like, this feels so trite and cliche, even though I know it's true. And what bridges the gap between those experiences? I don't know. I wish I did. I wish I had something more for you. Um, these are hard things to say, and I'm sure they'd be hard to hear. Um, but it's the truth. And uh, but let me say this: my relationship with my dad has had many wonderful moments too. My father hasn't given me much but what he has given me has been transformative. He gave me his athleticism, his love for books, his desire to think deeply, his, uh, his subtle sense of humor, and uh, maybe most importantly, this catcher's mitt. I was just a young chap. I got him from school one day. And my dad was home from work, which was uh, rare. He was a gymnastics coach, and so he coached after school usually. And so my dad was home one day, which was cool. I loved being around him. And uh, he gave me a gift, and it was this mitt. And uh, he said, this is for you. And it meant that he, um, he thought of me. And as the oldest of eight boys, <laughs> it was weird to be thought of because there were so many kids running around to be seen by my dad and for him to see that I love baseball so much and then to say, I have something for you. I'm going to bestow this gift upon you. Uh, just don't leave it out in the rain. Take care of it. I'll show you how to oil all that stuff it's a gift that needs to be used. It's a gift that needs uh, to be responsibly uh, taken care of. So that's what I did. As you can see, it's been pretty used. There's cable ties holding it together here. It's probably time to get it relaced and not be good to play catch catcher. Um, but this is a catcher's mitt, if you don't know, um, because that's what I am. I'm a catcher because my dad gave me this glove. And uh, it might sound silly to you, but baseball is such an important part of my life today um, because I am a catcher, and my dad gave me this mitt, and it's who I am. I own it. I love it, and I am who I am because my father has bestowed, owed this gift on me. That's why I'm 31 and still wake up in the morning and I'm so excited to play baseball because that's how I experience being a son. Be that as it may, I still have a hard time wanting to see God as a father. I know intellectually it's the case, but experience usually wins out, and uh, I'll say this too. I don't think God is ever a substitute for our earthly fathers. Maybe some preachers want you to believe that. That sounds easy, but it's not true. We all deserve a dad, a loving dad. It's not the case. It's something to be grieved. It's sad. Um, here's something really cool. One of the main metaphors throughout the Bible for explaining our relationship with God is one of adoption. That we have been adopted by someone who is not our biological dad. And that in that process, we are called sons and we're called daughters. Because uh, if God is like a father, he's like a father we don't have to hide from. And we never have to be afraid of. One who sees and hears and knows us, even if we don't know it. One who... Keeps promises, shows up, knows our name. Now, it was a common idea in the ancient world that we took on the likeness of our father. That's just, it was a common idea. But it was an uncommon idea that God could be a father and that one day we could see that father and we'd be transformed into the likeness of that father. Um, That's profound, but it's an idea. And until that idea allows us to experience being a son or a daughter, it's just an idea. And I don't know what bridges the gap sometimes. I wish I did, because I would dive into that. I think that's the invitation I want to offer us today, um, is that we somehow, through participating in the life that Jesus offers us, is that we can identify as sons or daughters, Um, even if you've had a relationship with your father that has let you down. Now, here's the other cool part of this. Um, I skipped over one part of the text and. 1 John 3, which says, the world does not know us because it did not know him. This is not an indictment against the world that you don't know God. shame on you. What it is, is a call to us to say, those who do not know that God is their father, those of you who have been adopted as sons and daughters, go out into the world and show people the presence of the father, by what is reflected in your own face. So it's an invitation. It's not an indictment. And that to me is exciting. Um, that's good news, that we get to go out into the world and be the presence of God, the Father, in the world. I don't know how to transcend that I- idea from it just being theoretical to being experiential. Honestly, I'm still working through it myself, but I think the idea itself is, is the place to begin. Um, but I say this to you in faith, trusting that faith leads to a transformation. I am a son. I invite the band back up. I'm going to pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for the love that you have bestowed on us that brings with it a responsibility. You have known our names. You have seen us and heard us. And uh, that you want to be in a very intimate relationship with us. And that even just to say that, God, I confess that it seems cliche, even though I know it's so true. So I pray that this morning we would experience that love in some some real way and that we would walk out of here today knowing the truth that we're sons and daughters. Amen. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.